Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bears Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana. And how are you guys this week? I hope you are doing exceptionally well, and I uh, hope everything is well for your families, and that Hashem is blessing you. It is great to be back with you guys this week. And uh, before we jump into this week's episode, just a few little commercials, if you're, you'll spare me and, and be gracious with me just a little bit. Um, just want to welcome everybody. If it's your first time checking out the podcast, the radio show, thank you guys. Want to make a huge shout out to Hebrew Nation, to Rollin and all the folks there that make this thing work. And just say, if you are looking for places to give, uh, not like there is any shortage of places to give, but if you're looking for a place to give and you find benefit and you get benefit from uh, Hebrew Nation, all the wonderful teachers they have, the music programs, everything that's going on here, uh, I want to ask you to consider donating. You can go to the website and there's a donate button right there and it would be greatly appreciated and would be put to fantastic use. And uh, so just if you're listening and you enjoy this program, don't forget uh, sometimes we take for granted, especially in this day and time, I think, where it's just so easy to get online and find whatever you want, uh, that, you know, the experts out there, uh, they used to charge for this stuff. <laughs> it was it was called their career, you know what I mean? And uh, nowadays we just come so become so accustomed to jumping on, you know, Google or whatever and finding out information uh, that we need just for free that we forget that it does cost money to make all this stuff happen. You know, it costs money for the equipment and the maintenance and all the things. And so uh, before you give to OAM, I would encourage you give to uh, Hebrew Nation uh, and support the fantastic information and knowledge and teaching and all the things that you're getting here. Uh, it would be a great benefit. Uh, no gift is too small. Uh, and so that's one quick commercial out. Number two, uh, if you are looking for a fellowship to join on Shabbat morning, Maybe you have fellow, a fellowship close to you. I hope you do. And if you do, I hope you're faithful to, uh, to that fellowship. Uh, but if you're not, or if your fellowship meets at a different time and you're just looking for something else to kind of check out on Shabbat, then I invite you to join us at Out of Ashes uh, every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central Time, where we live stream our entire service. And that is can be found rather on our website at outofashesministries.org. We also simulcast to Facebook. There's a chat there, of course, that you can be involved in. Uh, some people rather uh, stream us on YouTube, which we are live on YouTube as well, as they throw it up on their TV screens and they, you know, they watch while they're sitting in their house or with a group of people or whatever, and that's really cool. And uh, so either way, you know, all those places you can check it out. And then uh, the week after the, the, the following that Shabbat, uh, the week following, usually Sunday or Monday, uh, we cut out the teaching portion of Shabbat, and then we post that alone to YouTube and to our website, and that also goes to our podcast. So Out of Ashes has a podcast. You can find that on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
all of all the other places, I guess. I don't know where all it goes. Somebody does that for us. <laughs> and they said, yeah, it goes to all the places. Okay, cool. So uh, you can check out the podcast there where you'll find Image Bears Radio. You'll find our Shabbat uh, teachings and all that stuff. So uh, third uh, commercial, third announcement real quick is that we are in heavy preparation mode for Sukkot. There is a lot before Sukkot, but we are already planning and getting everything ready because really, ladies and gentlemen, we're just like, you know, less than two months or so out. Um, And if you have not made Sukkot plans or you are trying to figure out your Sukkot plans or whatever it may be, um, if you're interested in spending Sukkot or a portion of Sukkot with us here in Louisiana, I want to ask you, please, please go to our website, outofashesministries.org and register uh, there's a tab there right at the top. It'll say Sukkot 22. Please go and register. All the information is there. The schedule, you know, uh, a um, link to a schedule there. It is a tentative schedule uh, as far as daily schedule. Uh, and then there at the bottom, there's a short registration form. Just ask us how many adults or just tells us how many adults, how many kids. Um, the way we're doing it this year is that everyone coming in, we do have tent uh, camping spaces. We have plenty of space for that. Um, and then meals, breakfasts, and lunches are going to be on you guys. We are doing community dinners together that we or someone at Sukkot will be providing uh, under the sukkah, the big community sukkah that we build. And uh, we'll be doing uh, you know scripture study every night under the sukkah. And then um, we got a couple extra things that we're doing this year. One is a sukkah uh, decorating contest. So uh, this is this can be kind of a point of confusion and maybe consternation for some. Um, many people go, well, like, I'm staying in a tent. That is my temporary dwelling. And, yeah, I get it. Um, but traditionally, there are little booths that are built. Uh, if you've ever looked at Sukkot stuff online, sure, you've seen this in the Jewish communities. Uh, and my thing is just like, look, when the Israelites were given the commandment, they were already living in tents, in temporary dwellings, right? They hadn't made it into the land. They hadn't built homes. They hadn't built cities and stuff. And they still do- built these little booths, these sukkah. Um, and so anyway, if you would like to come, we have a great lumber yard here and stuff. If you want to build a small sukkah uh, outside of your tent, we're going to have a sukkah decorating contest. We're also going to be having a chili cook-off. Um, we got some wine tasting, we got, and then a, a ton of teaching. We're going to be doing a great, um, series of kids stuff with teachings, lessons, crafts, songs, the whole, the whole menagerie. And then, uh, for adults, we've got the same, we've got, uh, Hebrew classes. We've got, uh, just all kind of biblical, we've got eschatology stuff. We've got all kind of stuff that we're planning. So please do let us know if you're planning on coming, what days, et cetera, et cetera. Like we have said, we have the space. We just want to make sure we plan for food and all that and make sure that everybody is taken care of. Most of all, we want to be really good hosts, okay? And so just helping us to be a little bit, uh, you know, prepared is uh, is really thoughtful and a really good thing. So please do that on our website. Again, that's outofashesministries.org uh, slash, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and then uh, go to the Sukkot tab. Uh, one last thing on Sukkot, we do not charge a registration fee. I know many Sukkots do. Um, we do not charge registration fee. However, we do ask that for each adult, each night that you eat with us, each night that we are providing a meal, for each adult, 12 and over, um, that you donate $5 per meal. That's it. Just helps us to offset that cost a little bit. Uh, we've got a lot of other costs that go into hosting Sukkot, which is cool. 
and uh, then you know above and beyond that, uh, if you are in the habit or in the tradition of preparing a festival offering uh, for things like Pesach, Shavuot, uh, Sukkot, then uh, that would be on you know, but that's between you and God. But the cover help to cover the meals. We're asking for that little bit of donation. All right, I think that is it. <laughs> I think that's all of it. We are going to be today uh, in a few verses in this week's Parsha, Parsha Ekev. And so, if you want to start turning there, then that's where we'll be. But before we do that, let's go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, the King of Kings. We bless you and thank you for this opportunity. And God, we humbly ask that you speak to us through your word, through your spirit, and that you allow us to meditate on the things of God, the things of kingdom, as we bear your image. Amen. everybody. So we are in Parsha Ekev. And guys, listen, we are just about done with the Torah portions. Isn't that crazy? We've got the book of Devarim, and then we'll be done. It'll be Sukkot, and we'll be starting over uh, the Torah portion cycle again, uh, unless you do the Parsha in uh, in three years. But for those of us on the annual cycle, uh, we'll be starting over again in just a few weeks. That's insane that we've been through the Parsha again already this year. And I'm interested to know um, how many times you've been through the, the Parsha cycle um, since you've been studying Torah, since you've been Torah pursuant. Uh, how many times have you made it through the Parsha cycle? Uh, leave a comment down below when the archive is posted uh, on Hebrew Nation's website. And uh, let me know. Let me know how many times you've been through uh, through the cycle, I think that's really interesting. And uh, you know, every year we 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 gain new insights, we learn something new. And it's not that the word changes, right? It's not that the Torah changes, um, but our world changes. That's kind of big picture, right? The the context, the culture of our world changes. My goodness, uh, have things not changed a whole bunch in the last three years? Do you even recognize parts of your world from three years ago? I know I don't. Uh, you know, we, we live in a very rural area. It's very quiet. It's very slow. Um, we don't, you know, we don't have city stuff to deal with. Uh, you know, I mean, the biggest deal around here is, you know, bad weather or someone's cows break out of the fence and, you know, are standing in the road. I mean, I, I can't, or a logging truck turns over. So there's not... Not a whole lot of exciting stuff that happens uh, happens here. Matter of fact, one of my friends was asking uh, asking me today. He said, "Hey, um, my wife, it's my wife and I's anniversary, and you know we'd love to go to you know a a, a nice kosher restaurant. Um, do you know of any in he's in you know around you know two hours or so away? And uh, where we are, guys, the only kosher restaurant is four hours either east or west um, is about the closest." Uh, and so we're, you know, we're two to three to four hours from anywhere significant. And so things don't really impact us like they do, you know, more populous, uh, you know, or, or other parts of the country. And so even in that, though, um, we have seen a lot of, you know, a lot of changes. And I say this and I don't even really I don't know how to describe it. I know what I'm trying to say. I just can't find words for it. But it's like 
the air is different in the last few years. You know, just the, I don't know, some, just the whole feeling of being alive is different. Um, and I don't know if that's kind of, you know, we're just, uh, we are, you know, still in the residue of lockdowns and all, which is really kind of draconian for us, you know, and stuff, uh, and all the hysteria and, and all that, you know, just all the things, I'm not saying good or bad, or I'm not, you know, placing judgment, I'm just saying it's just out of, out of, uh, it's, uh, it's not something we're used to, right? It's out of character for us. And uh, so I'm not sure what, you know, what the thing is, but it just seems like the energy is different. The, the aura of just the very air is different. And um, I, listen, I could be, I could be really, really deep and spiritual and say that, you know, this is, you know, this is the beginning of the end or whatever, but I'm not that guy. And, you know, if that's your feeling on it, then, uh, then cool. Um, you know, go with God. But I, I you know, I don't, I'm not going to say anything like that. It just is different. And so our, each time we read through the Parsha cycle, you know, our, our world is different, which believe it or not, it does make you look at scripture differently. You read things in Scripture that you probably had never have considered before, or verses pop out that you never, you know, you never considered in that way. Um, so our environment changes, and you know, then next we we change. Maybe your family uh, is is different. Maybe you had a baby, uh, you know, got married. Uh, maybe you're going from high school to college. Maybe you're. You know, maybe you you uh, you have a grandbaby. Maybe you lost a mom or dad, or maybe you lost, you know, God forbid, a son or a daughter. Um, you know, I just our our immediate lives change. Maybe you have just you know you've come out of a long season of of bondage to something, and you're being delivered from that. Uh, maybe you're going through a season of healing, or or maybe you're you you in a season of crisis. Um, and, and, you're, and then you're not used to that, maybe. So there's just all kinds of things that change on our side. And the beautiful thing, I love the, the Jewish sages, they talk about the Scripture as a, a diamond with 70 facets, right? And that every time you turn the diamond, you see a little bit different part of the, of the diamond. You see a different facet. And I just love that about the Torah especially, you know, and the, the prophets, the whole, the whole of Scripture, um, the Gospels, etc. But the, the, the beautiful thing is that it's, sometimes it's hard for us to actually do the turning of Scripture. What do I mean by that? Well, because many of us don't, are not fluent and not, you know, really equipped in the biblical languages. And so we don't have a mastery of the biblical languages. Uh, many times we're not equipped in the culture, the the language, the culture, the idioms, um, you know, the linguistic idioms, the the structure of the writing. Thirdly, we struggle with the type of literatures, types of literature that are included in our Bibles. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, many people don't realize, or just on a very surface level, realize that even though your Bible is the Word of God, and it is true. Um, it, you know, we know that, well, yeah, some, this is a poem and this is a song or whatever, but we, we don't make the connection between, um, you know, well, what is poetry? Poetry is not, is usually not literal. It's, it's metaphor and simile to make a point, right? To, to, to teach a deep understanding. And yet we read that poetry that's in scripture and we still read it very literally. <laughs> so it's, like, no, that's not how it works. 
Uh, we have prophecy. Yikes. We have apocalyptic language. I mean, we just have all these different kinds of things. And even though we may know about the different types of liter- literary genres and devices in Scripture, we may not be educated and equipped in those. So, um, you know, that's, a, that's another thing. Uh, there's all these – reading the Bible, guys, is, is tough work. Um, it can be read very simply, of course, just with a you know a surface meaning, a, a not a surface meaning, a plain meaning, a, you know, a, a, an, an obvious meaning. Um, it can be you know it can be read like that and lived by, and much wisdom can be gained. Um, however, if you you know if we just reduce the Bible to that, then we are shortchanging what the scriptures are and what Hashem has given to us in the whole of Scripture. We're shortchanging it, and that's where this this work really starts to happen. You know, learning languages, doing you know, I you know, like scholars or don't you know, listen to scholars, learn from scholars or or don't. That's that's up to you. But it it does say something when a scholar, um, you know, in a seminary or an academy somewhere, spends thirty years of their lives just studying one book of the Bible. I mean, that's. How many of you guys have read through a book once or twice, like an Amos or a Habakkuk or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Genesis? You've read through it. You bought a couple of books. You read, maybe bought a commentary. You've read through it maybe six weeks, maybe six months, and you go like, cool, I feel like I know everything there is to know about Genesis. And then you realize that some of these scholars have spent 30 or 40 years, years on one book. That's insane, right? That is insane. And, you know, for what it's worth, like I said, like, you know, like them or not, then that's not really the, the point here. The, what's, what's crazy is that um, they have something to teach us. We might not agree, and, we, and you know, we might not take what they have to, to say to heart, but they have learned some things about how to study Scripture, about how the Bible was written, what it is, what makes it tick, getting under the hood, and that kind of stuff that we, we just don't even know exists. And I think it's important to know that, <laughs> to know that we don't know that it exists, and um, and to think about some of those things. So, when we're talking about reading the Parsha cycle every year, what my prayer for you is, and what my challenge to you is, is each year that we read it, ask yourself, ask the Spirit to to reveal to you, God to show you another layer, another facet that maybe you haven't considered before. Maybe this next year, this next tour cycle, um, if you're used to, you know, wherever you're used to learning from, whatever Torah commentary you're used to listening to, if you are each week, maybe pick one, uh, pick something that's different than that, that's maybe the opposite from that. So, for instance, if all you do is, uh, all you, you know, you, you really love Jewish commentary, and that you have a Chumash, or you have, you know, Art Scroll Tanakh, or you have whatever, and that's what you generally use to study your Parsha and your Haftarah, then maybe next year add to that maybe a good Christian commentary, and just see. Just see where they differ. See how they, you know, how they approach things differently. As I say all the time, we don't read other people's stuff for them, you know, to, to get what they think. I'm not trying to get what they think so that I can live my life according to what they think. That's not my goal. 
when I read a commentary, watch a video, whatever it is, my goal is to see how are they approaching this because it may, they may have an approach that I didn't consider before. And that just, I know, you know, in, in our, maybe in your denomination, it was like this in mine, uh, a couple that I grew up in, everything was very narrowly filtered, right? You can't, you couldn't have much deviation of opinion because that would quote unquote create confusion. And really what it did, in my opinion, in my experience, is it made us really uh, unable to to study, to ask questions, to find answers to questions. It made it uh, it made us really ill-equipped to study the Bible because the Bible is full of diversity in itself. And so I I cheer on diversity and you know listen to something that you think is crazy and bear through it and listen to it because those people more often than not, especially if it's Torah related. They, they are trying to find truth, just like you are. And they may have a consideration or an approach that you never considered before. And while some things I even think are just, nope, I'm not even wasting my time with that. There are some of those things, uh, like the earth is pear-shaped or, you know. Um, but those, it, it doesn't discount the, the soul inside that person that is seeking for truth and seeking for God. So, uh Anyway, that was a 20-minute uh, introduction, and I just think it's, it's interesting that we think about this. We get so – sometimes we either get so, um, so tunnel-visioned in on where we are, uh, either in our faith or in life, that we forget to kind of take a step back and look at the big picture and look at the last couple years, five years, ten years, and look at where you are and look at where you were. Now, is where you are better or worse than where you were? Are you happier or not? Are you more fulfilled or not? Are you more whole and healed or not? And I think it's important to take, you know, take scope of that and figure out, okay, where do I want to go from here? Where do I feel like God is leading me? Where do I know even if I don't feel God leading me, which happens, <laughs> I don't, I'm hearing crickets from heaven. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Where would I like to go? What would I like to study? Where would I like to to, where is my curiosity running? Because after all, God did promise that he would give us the desires of our heart. So what your heart desires, maybe God's the, that's God's way of saying where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. If your heart desires something, maybe that's God's way of speaking to you. And so follow that. Follow your heart. Trust yourself. Trust your motive and your, your humble desire to please Hashem and to build his kingdom and to bear his image and go after it. Because the truth is that you are going to see things in, in, in scriptures that you study that have been studied for the last, you know, 4,000 years. You're going to see things that somebody has never seen before, maybe. That's, that's a pretty incredible thought, right? Verses, passages, chapters, prophecies, commandments, whatever, that have been studied for thousands of years and lived. Gospels that have been studied for 2,000 years. The words of Yeshua that have been studied for all this time. And could it be that if you submit to your curiosity and, and your passion, that maybe you'll see and you'll bring to the kingdom something that nobody else has? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? That's pretty wild to think about. But it should be a good encouragement to all of us to let go, take a deep breath, and, and let our curiosity guide us. Let the, let the Spirit of God speak and follow those desires that He's given us. Right. 
So I promised you we were going to read a couple of verses in Akev. I'm sorry. I just I sat down today, and I knew what I was going to talk about, and then I started talking, and this is what came out. So uh, I think it's important. I think it's cool. The reason why I think this fits what we're doing today is because Devarim is kind of that big picture thing. You have less of the specific you know, commandments and the, the, the details and the mechanics of commandments. You have more of Moses pleading with the people, remember, remember and do, remember and do, remember and do, right? Remember and be, remember and be. And so I think this fits kind of where we are, looking at the last couple of years, looking forward to see where we want to be, see where we were. And so after the break, I promise, we are going to jump into a couple of verses, verses in Parsha Ekev that I want to use to kind of hold this, uh, this conversation up. So don't go away. We'll be right back right after the break. everybody welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio so you know i was thinking no i'm joking <laughs> that's that's the introduction for another rabbit trail so i was thinking um no i'm not gonna do that to you i have a great friend uh that is a part of our our um our fellowship our community and uh he said the other day you know you make some great points and when you're teaching and i would love to like make a 30 second clip of that you know that point to uh, to share, he said. But you start a point, and then like it takes like thirty minutes um, to come back to that point because of your rabbit trails. And I'm like, yeah, gu- I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. Uh, and then he told me this last week. Um, I said, man, I really didn't have a whole lot, you know, to say about this week's portion. He said, and yet you made an hour and a half out of the first five words. <laughs> uh, uh, I love you, Peter. Um, and it's true. I don't know. It just is what it is. I don't think of myself as having the gift of gab, but when it comes to nerdy Bible stuff, I just can't help myself. All right. So we are in Pasha Ekev. We are in Devarim chapter 10, and I want to start in verse uh, verse 12. Okay? Parsha Ekev, Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Here we go. Now, O Israel, what does Hashem your God ask of you? All right? So... This is uh, the temporary ark and the second set of tablets. That's the context we're in. Uh, this is still part of the, you know, the, the first couple of speeches that Moshe is giving, his kind of last hurrah set of sermons. What does Hashem your God ask of you? Only, okay, only, only to fear Hashem, number one. Your God to go in all his ways and to love him and to serve Hashem your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to observe the commandments of Hashem and his decrees, which I command you today for your benefit. Okay. So what does Hashem require of you? How many things does Hashem require? Well, we could say to fear is one, to go in all his ways is two, to love him is three, to serve him is four. To observe the commandments in verse 13 is five. 
and his decrees. So we could say there's five things in verses 12 and 13. I want to argue there's one. There's one thing. There's one thing, and that's the first thing. Only to fear Hashem. That's the one thing that God requires of you. Now, we see this cool thing happening several different places in Scripture um, where we have, by traditional count, how many commandments? 613, right? 613 meets vote. And um, we have, you know, all these divisions. Now, depending on how you count them, you may come out with more, you may come out with less. That's the, that's the accepted number of commandments, okay? But then you have Yeshua going, reducing them down to two, right? To two, love God and love your neighbor. You have in the prophets, what does God require of you but to do justly, act rightly, and or act justly, do right, whatever that is, and walk humbly with your God, right? That's, that's three. So the question is, how many are there? <laughs> and then you have the 10, right, of course. And then here, I think you have one. So we can argue over how many commandments there are and what was Yeshua doing? Was he making two new commandments or was he just saying all the other commandments are not valid? It's just these two, loving God and loving your neighbor, right? Because we, uh, we've done that on both sides of the fence. In, in, in our Christian past, uh, we've heard or we've said, well, Yeshua made two commandments. He has two commandments. I follow the commandments. I follow Yeshua, uh, Jesus' commandments. He has two Love God and love your neighbor. Okay. So in that argument, Yeshua is taking all the other commandments and just doing away with them. Now all we have to do is love, right? Okay. So is that valid or not? Well, the other side is um, is just saying, well, you know, he's, he's, he's reducing the commandments. And really these are the, most, the two most important commandments in that. The other ones are like, eh, you can do them or not, but God really didn't care about them. He wants, you know, he wants these. So this, we, we do this thing where we, we, we're wondering like, well, what does he do? Is he making two new, you know, the, the other side of the argument is, well, he's made two new commandments. And um, these new commandments are different than the whole rest of the thing, right? These two commandments are new, brand new commandments. Jesus came up with them all on his own. And the old covenant and all those laws and all that stuff—that's not that—that that has nothing to do with what Jesus did. Jesus has these two new commandments, and they're about love. So either side of that argument is, what is he doing with the commandments? Well, there's a third option. The third option is that he's doing what the biblical writers and God Himself has done, the Father has done through the whole of Israelite history. He's doing a condensation, which the understanding is, this is the high point, this is the point, and it does not diminish, and it does not do away, certainly, with any of the other body of commandments or the body of the covenant. What it does is it gives you a a point to focus on. This is the goal. Understanding that it takes all those other commandments, all those other mitzvot, in order to accomplish that goal. You accomplish that goal through the other commandments, but not losing sight of that goal. Because how many of you, you may be this person or you may know this person, 
um, where you know when you, you you're studying the Torah, and the Torah becomes all about it's all about this, guys. The Torah. I'll, t- I'll use me for an example, so I can I can pick on my own self, right? For me, the Torah is all about the temple, right? Surprise! You didn't know I was going to say that, did you? Uh, the Torah is all about the temple. It's guys, listen. It's all about the temple, right? If you see the Torah the way I do, you would see it's all about temple. Temple, 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 tabernacle, 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 temple everywhere, right? That's what it's all about. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Do I mean the rest of the commandments don't matter except we're explicitly talking about the sacred space, the tabernacle, the temple? No, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Maybe some people do. I don't know. For me, when I, when I talk about the temple, it's because that's where my area of passion is right now. That's where my focus is right now. And I see all the commandments as relating to. The temple wouldn't be the temple if it weren't for the whole body of mitzvot that are connected to sacred space. But someone may have a thing about the Sabbath. It's all about Shabbat. It's all about Sabbathing, the, you know, it's all about rest, and it's all, and that's what it's all about. That's what's so. The the impl- implication is we can do away with all the minutia, and we can just focus on what it's all about. And I think that's where we've made a big mistake in how we study the Torah, and how we interpret it, and how we apply it. In that it, you know, this says, "What does God ask of you? Only to fear Hashem, right? Only to fear Him." Which, of course, fear is not be scared. Um, I, I used to teach this in, in youth ministry, and the way I would teach it is reverential fear balanced with actual OM goodness, I'm scared for my life fear. And we had an opportunity to be at a zoo once. I don't remember when this was or what you know where it was or what group of kids I was with or whatever. Um, but we were at a zoo once at a, at a youth outing on a mission trip, I think. Took a day off and went to the zoo, and... Uh, there was the lion cage, and there was a smaller zoo. There was one lion, and all over the zoo, you could hear him. I think it's called chuffing, right? When they they're not roaring, but it's just like this uh, uh, this breathing thing they do. Uh, that was not accurate at all, by the way. Um, but he was chuffing, and then and then he would roar, and it was like if you were close enough, it was like your your insides shook. It was incredible, and I asked the kids, how many of you guys are scared of that line? Like he was in a cage inside of his pen, right? And like he, it was, he wasn't out roaming around. He was in a cage sleeping in his, or, you know, hanging out in his cage inside of his pen. How many of you guys are scared of that line? And they were like, well, I mean, not really, you know? And I said, how many of you have respect for him even though he's in that cage? And they were like, well, I mean, obviously, my insides shake when he roars. Okay. That is one part of fear, the reverential side that I have. And I'm like, you know, well, how many of you guys would like to go up to the cage and taunt him? And they were like, no, no, I'm good. Um, You know, another year this happened with a a male gorilla. You know, I was like, you guys go knock on the glass. And they were like, no, no, thanks. Somebody else was doing it. And the gorilla came up and like hit it with both his fists and scared the mess out of everybody. You're not scared for your life. There's no impending danger but you have a very, very real and healthy respect for that animal. I said, now, what if he got out of his cage and we were all just standing here? 
and out of his pen, and he was free roaming around. They were like, we'd be scared. So this idea with fear for me is this two-dimensional balancing act that we have when we think about Hashem, the creator of the universe, right? The Lion of Judah. And it's this idea that people that are scared of God, usually we, we become, let's take an animal, a wild animal, we become scared whenever they've crossed the boundary or we've crossed the boundary, right? As long as there's a boundary line there, a fence, a wall, or something that keeps us from, uh, from crossing over into that animal's space, then we can, we can observe it with awe, we can spend time, you know, and yet once that boundary line is crossed, then all of a sudden we get afraid, right? We, we're scared for our lives. And maybe not a super great analogy. It works for me. But I think about this in the context of Kedusha. When we talk about Kedusha, right? And if you watched any of our Shabbat morning teachings or you've heard this podcast before, you've heard me talk about kind of the concentric circles of Kedusha, the radial that kind of radiate out from the Holy of Holies, right? If you look at a temple, at a picture of the temple, the Holy of Holies is the center, the most, you know, the, the, it's the bullseye. It's the place where there is the most holiness. And holiness, really, it equals restriction. There's a lot of definitions about what holiness is. And we say, well, it's separation. It's separation to God for a purpose, right? Set apart, all those things. But one definition we don't talk about enough is that holiness is restriction. It's restriction. In other words, if God didn't call me holy enough to go into this one circle, I'm restricted from that. And the things that are in that circle of Kedusha, that circle of holiness, are restricted from, out, from going out. So like uh, the priest, when they came in to, to serve in, the, in, the, in Beit HaMikdash, in the temple. They came in to serve. They came in. They washed. Once they entered the Azara, the, the courtyard, the priestly courtyard in the, in the center of the temple, once they entered the Azara, they were not allowed to go back to a less holy place until their time of service had finished. You can't take something from the holy and then bring it back down to a less holy or a more common sphere, Right? So when we think about fearing Hashem, it's realizing that if we're scared of God, it's because there's a transgression somewhere. There's a line we've crossed somewhere, and we what we're really feeling probably is conviction or guilt or whatever it is, but there's a line crossed somewhere where we're exposed to that holiness, and it scares us, and it should. Isaiah, right, wakes up in a vision, and he is scared to death. Because where is he? He's in the heavenly court. He's in the throne room. He's in the Holy of Holies. And he knows he shouldn't be there. Isaiah was a priest, but he was not the Kohen Gadol. He was not the high priest. He knows he shouldn't have been there. He's scared for his life. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, right? And that, that whole vision, the intro to that vision, I think it's in chapter 6 or 7 of Isaiah. And so the, we, we have transgressed. Uh, Rico Cortez uses another word, and I cannot think of it for the life of me right now. Um, but we, we've transgressed that, that place, and we shouldn't have. And at that point, we are exposed to the incredible holiness and power of God, and we, we should be fearful. On the other hand, God chose to contain himself 
and present himself in a way that we could observe, have relationship with, live with. He contained himself and put a part of his spirit or the fullness of his spirit, however you want to think about it, inside of us. That takes God containing himself. Like the lion in the, in the pen, in the cage, God had to, had to drape himself in, in other words, even in the tabernacle, when the presence of God fell, when the, in the inauguration of the Mishkan, the presence of God fell and, and burnt up, completely burnt up the altar, or the offering on the altar. And, and the Shekinah lived, the presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle. That is not, that is not the whole fullness of who God is. Because God cannot be contained. And also, we are not capable as human beings of understanding the depth and breadth and, and, and just inexplainable majesty of God. We're not capable of understanding that. So God has to come to us contained in certain ways. And sometimes even those ways are a little hard for us to understand, right? Like when a donkey speaks or when we see the angel of the Lord, right? I mean, there's just some things in Scripture that go like, huh? And it's even hard for us to understand when God does show himself in some container, right? And yet that's what it is. And this respect, this fear is that I, I reverence I reverence the Holy One so much that I want to make sure that I don't impede, impose, impend upon His space. And that if He chooses to put His presence inside of me, that is even more responsibility and more sensitivity I need to have to not desecrating the presence of God that's in me, not tainting the presence of God that's in me. Now, I also understand that if I transgress, if I violate one of those areas, that God has the option, although he rarely, rarely, if ever, ever uses it, he has the option to respond in kind, in his justice. However, the scriptures talk, teach us about a God who is rich in mercy, and God will always temper his justice with his mercy. And that's one of the beautiful things. So, what does only fear have to what does only fear mean, right? What is this only fear? And then it goes on about, you know, serving and loving and keeping commandments and all, all that kind of stuff. Well, what I want to suggest is what we talked about earlier, is that only fear is the focal point. It's the it's the 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 bullseye that we shoot for. It's the thing that we keep in mind while we are doing all the things that produce reverence in, in our lives. That it is it's going to be really easy to get into the mechanics and the weeds, so to speak, of keeping the commandments, right? It's going to be easy for us to get overwhelmed, especially people that didn't grow up in a commandment, you know, in a Torah-centric culture, family, whatever. It's going to be really easy, and some of you have experienced this, I know, it's going to be really easier for us to become overwhelmed with how to keep Shabbat, how to eat like the Bible instructs, which, which person is right on, on this or that. What about, you know, things like, you know, uh, mixed clothing and what about tzitzit and what about, 
you know, what about all these things? Uh, it can get really overwhelming when you start getting into the weeds. And so in his wisdom, what Hashem does is he implores this, I'll call it condensation tactic, where he condenses the whole of it through Moshe Rabbeinu and says, this is what you're going for. This is the attribute you're aiming for. You're aiming for reverential respect of holiness and of sovereignty and supremacy of God. Keep that in mind as you do all of these things. As you, you know, as you you go in all and 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 as you uh, you fear in all your ways and love Him, learn to love Him and serve Him with all your heart and your soul. And as you observe the commandments and His decrees, which He commands you today. And then I love that He ends this in verse thirteen with for your benefit, right? For your benefit. And you guys know if you've listened to any amount of time, I I take everything back to a family, back to a household, because to me that's, I don't know if that's the, the early Brad Scott teachings I got when I first came into Torah or what, but it all comes, you know, it all comes to that. You have an, an ethic in your house. You have a, uh, you know, a, a, a character of your house. Your house has a culture. And, you know, again, I'll just, talk about us because I know our house. Um, One thing that's really, really important for us is respect. Respect for each other, respect for elders, respect for, you know, people outside of our house. Respect is a big deal for us. So that's the main ethic. That's the, that's the bullseye. That's the one, one of the things that we want to try to instill in our kids. Well, what goes along with respect? Well, in order to respect my wife, we try to teach our kids to clean up after themselves so that she doesn't have to do it all, right? Now, it doesn't work super great. <laughs> We're still, I think that's a lifelong process we work on, right, with our kids. Um, but we, what, that, so how would, how would picking up your shoes, the commandment to, you know, in our house, to pick up your shoes out of the doorway, how is that teaching respect, right? How, what does that have to do with, only, if I just said, respect your mom, and that was it? But you don't have to do anything else. Just respect her. Our kids would have no sense of what that means. What does it mean to respect your mom? What, what is it? How do, how do I do that, right? Do I just pay it lip service like, oh, respect your mom. Peace. And yet I'm not going to do anything to help you around the house or to make your job or your life easier. I'm not going to spend any quality time with you. I'm, you know, I'm not going to watch what I say around you or about you. I, you know, none of that. I'm just going to say, hey, I respect you, and I'm going to try to feel that respect and try to muster that respect in some kind of way. But the way that I really show, you know, that, we, that our kids show mom respect is by doing clothes, by, you know, pick, keeping their rooms clean, by keeping up with their schoolwork, by, you know, all the, helping with their baby brother and, and all, all of these things, cooking dinner every once in a while, the dishes, whatever. And then by spending time with her, Right. And, and, and joking and cutting up and laughing and just having good time. That, we're teaching them how to respect. And this is, this is one of the awesome things about how these commandments work that I don't think we give enough credit to. Here, Moshe is trying to, conv- trying to convey a specific ethic, a sp- specific culture, a motive, a motivation. That, that, that fear of Hashem is what, it's that the point. That's the point. That's the goal. And how do you do that? 
Well, in, in Christianity, we've, we've had a hard time loving and respecting God because we were not, we don't have anything to do, right? Everybody just said, well, respect, you better fear God. Oh, okay. You better fear God. Okay, so we try to manufacture what we think fearing God looks like. And it's amorphous and it's undefined, but it's the best we can come up with because that's all we were ever told is, well, you better fear God. Okay, okay cool. Um, so what, 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 how does that work? Well, here is this condensation. Yeshua made two commandments, right? Love God and love your neighbor. But he taught a whole sermon on the mount, right? About fairness and forgiveness and all, and all these things. See, all those things teach you how to love God and how to love your neighbor. All of the 613 teach you how to love God and how to love your neighbor. All of the mitzvot, we should be able to, they should be cultivating a fear in us. Last week's Parsha, uh, towards the end of the Parsha, there's a statement uh, that says that God says to do right and do what is right and good. And the, the, the rabbis and the sages have a lot to say about this. What is right and good? Isn't the same thing? Well, doing right should produce goodness. If you are doing the right things, it should produce goodness in you. And this is the same thing. If you're doing the commandments, it should produce a fear of Hashem, an awe, a holy awe of the God and creator of the universe. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, Some good stuff to think about as you work through this Parsha this week. Until next week, please know that I love you all. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. 